I think America must see that riots do not develop out of thin air. And some bad things happen in this country where Americans tortured other Americans due to the color of their skin. That went on so long in America. What are you going to do about it? Because I remember as a little girl when we went to a funeral and they lowered that casket in the ground, the minister would say, ashes to ashes. Dust to dust. A lot of our people never got that. So we're looking back in history so this patient can live. We're looking back in history so this patient can thrive. We're looking back in history so this patient can become very strong. But this patient can only live and get stronger if we're willing to look back. So tonight we start. There's an African proverb that says, you speak my name and I will live forever. So tonight we will speak some names. This is Our Common Ground with Janice Graham, transforming truth to power, one broadcast at a time. My mother used to tell me, she said, you cannot internalize the pain if you internalize that pain, it just chips away at you. This country, no one really generally talk about the people who were lynched. Sometimes they would lynch people, they put them in the water with weights so the family would never see them again. Sometimes they would take the bodies and cut them up and sell the pieces. Sometimes they would take the body after they lynched it and burn it up so the families would not have anything. Those are ones that were recorded what about the ones that were not recorded? It was close to three to 4,000 people who were lynched. And a lot of these people never got a funeral. It was often too dangerous for the families to retrieve those bodies. And sometimes there was no bodies to retrieve. It's not just black history. This is American history. him die and live to tell the story. I had no choice. 
I have my wife and other children to look after, to live for. And as my son cried and begged and pleaded for his life, they bound his hands and feet and forced him into the river. And as I stood, trembling with tears running down my face, watching my son sink to the bottom of the river, never to rise again, never to rise again, never to rise again. Transforming truth to power, one broadcast at a time. No, 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 not God bless America, God... Our Common Ground with Janice Graham. Our Common Ground, speaking truth to power and ourselves. Our Common Ground, a higher ground for discourse, discussion, solutions, and ideas. I'm Janice Graham, and I'll be listening for you. Talk, talk, that matters. matters. Transforming truth truth to power. One broadcast broadcast at a time. And now to Our Common Ground with Janice Graham. And good evening, and thank you for joining us here at the Black Sanctuary for Truth at Our Common Ground. It is Our Common Ground. I'm so glad to have you. For those of you who are who are new to us, if you would like to join us in our chat room, you can do so at blogtalkradio.com backslash OCG, and we'd love to see you. Uh, El Michelle and Alpho and all the regulars will make a prominent seat for you moving over to make you comfortable. Thank you again for being with us tonight at Our Common Ground. We are, this is our first episode of this broadcast during the Black History Month 2021, and we are glad to be here. This is our 34th celebration of Black History Month at Our Common Ground, although we celebrate black history every day. We are the living, breathing examples of victorious survival and beyond. Thank you again. Tonight at Our Common Ground, Ashes to Ashes, Addressing Racial Injustice in America, Redemption and Reckoning. And our guest is Dr. Shirley J. Whitaker, uh, who is a kidney specialist, an author, a filmographer, and most important to our mission tonight, an activist. And we are so grateful to have my soror sister, 
in love with us tonight in this sanctuary. Uh, let us begin uh, to give you our regular, uh, before we get started, updates. As of today, there have been 452,660 deaths as a result of the COVID-19 coronavirus infection pandemic. 84,233 people are hospitalized in hospitals across this nation, the continental United States, and its territories. There are currently, which is why I remind you to be careful, to be safe, to have a protocol to protect yourself, your family, and your loved ones and friends from this deadly pandemic. 26,708,000 confirmed cases of COVID-19 in this country and its territories. As of today, 63,975 of those who have died as a result of an infection have are black Americans, 15%. And we just admonish you to take it seriously and to be safe. And I do want to announce that I had my vaccine today at 2.35 and um, not a problem, not a problem. Uh, I am not giving out medical advice. I am not a doctor, nor do I play one on talk radio. I am simply telling you what I did today, and I'm glad of it. I I feel a a bit of relief. My family up in Boston, they're all making travel uh, travel plans to get here the moment I have my second vaccination, which will be next month. We also uh, remind you to be very safe. Tomorrow, as you plan, if you plan to have Super Bowl craziness and celebration, to be safe uh, by whatever you do. We're asking you to do two things this week as activists. We're asking you to email, to text, to call your representatives and your congressional delegations wherever you live to encourage them to consider recurring payments as part of a stimulus plan after the current bill, which is in progress. Uh, President Biden is holding fast uh, on his desire for the $1,400 individual payments under the stimulus bill and to assist uh, small businesses, which weren't assisted in that first bill, uh, too much uh, to um, to move without uh, any imped- political impediments being presented by uh, Republicans, the Confederacy, and the QAnon folks up there in the Congress. Uh, there is, and you should understand that there is a procedural uh, glitch in regard to the $15. Uh, an hour minimum federal wage, and uh, they are working on that, and it probably will not be 
a part of the stimulus bill that is going through the system now. But President Biden and the Biden-Harris administration has announced that they are looking at how that can be a separate reconciliation issue. They're having to go around um, the Confederacy uh, in order to get these uh, bills promulgated. Uh, We would like to ask you to make your calls to do texts to Twitter about it and um, and to talk about it with your friends to ask them to do the same. Don't forget that um, the former president, Donald J. Trump, the trial for his uh, removal, impeachment trial at the Senate, begins on Tuesday. The second thing I'd like to ask all of you to do who are listening, white, black, uh, Latino, in Spanish, in, in Portuguese, whatever language you speak. Teach your children the black, the Negro national anthem. And you call it Lift Every Voice. So we're asking you to become, to, to, to be, become an agent of empowering black children to understand why it is important to, that black history matters. So, uh, you know, keep in mind that, that any, any, any group, any people's history is about their hope as well as their past. It is about assisting and giving power to the past for the present. It provides aspiration, inspiration for children, affirmation. So if you have grandchildren, nieces, nephews, whoever, every black child should know James Weldon Johnson's Lift every voice and sing. And one of the reasons that I like to say it's a black Negro um, anthem is my father was very good friends with James Weldon Johnson, but James Weldon Johnson, I never met him. He probably died before I was old enough. Maybe I did meet him and I just didn't know. We used to go to Jacksonville and visit some people, so that's all I know. Uh, But one of the things that is important for our children to understand is that we survived. We are here. We have had an African-American president. We have black people who have built the very foundation of economic, social, cultural aspects of this country, despite everything, which is why um, in moving into our, our discussion tonight, I have been so passionate about the Our Common Ground um, theme. Every year I give a theme, and the 
Our Common Ground Black History Month 2021 theme is what we endured, survived, yet still achieved. And that's why this episode is so important to me because it amplifies what we survived and yet achieved. And I am so pleased to have with us tonight my soror and an activist, filmographer, author who has taken on her theme as Take Our Talent and Make It Roar for Change. Dr. Whitaker is the seventh child of Eddie and Charlie Mae Jackson. Both of them are deceased, and she is from Waycross. She grew up in Waycross, Georgia, a place that I really love. She did her early education training in Waycross and then attended Clark University. She completed a BS degree in biology, where she graduated from with honors. After Clark, she attended Yale University School of Medicine, Department of Public Health, and that experience enabled her to work as a community health provider and educator uh, in an underserved area of Atlanta. When she completed her fellowship, she and her husband moved to Massachusetts Pioneer Valley. We won't hold that against her, where she worked for 10 years at the Springfield Southwest Community Health Center. For those who do not know, Springfield is a very, very large city in the Commonwealth of Massachusetts. There, she designed a children's coloring book against, against using drugs. Uh, in Spanish and English and Russian and Vietnamese, which tells you a lot about that community. And um, she has just had an early love for art, which has which has been woven into all aspects of her life. Because of her interests and concerns about the forty about the four thousand African Americans that were lynched preceding um, in the emancipation and during, the, during slavery, Dr. Whitaker produced the first ever funeral service, Ashes to Ashes, in 2016, to celebrate and remember those lives. And this service has been made into a film of the same name, and if you go to ourcommonground.com and you can find the link or you can Google it, you can watch this film online. Um, <clears throat> and it is being considered for an uh, Academy Award and, will, and was featured in the New Yorker magazine uh, just this month, last month. Dr. Whitaker continues to practice nephrology nephrology, which is kidney disease, in western Massachusetts and works to make contributions to her community. And she lives in one of my favorite Massachusetts towns, Amherst, Massachusetts. So roared love, Dr. Shirley Whitaker. Thank you so much for joining us tonight at Our Common Ground. Thank you. Well, so we're, we're just, can you hear me? Yes, I can. 
Okay, good. You're good. Okay. So it's nice being here. Thank, thank you so much for inviting me. Well, you know, let me let me just say this. Um, I do remember when Ashes to Ashes was rolled out in 2016, and I had no idea it was coming out of Massachusetts. Um, but I have, over the last couple of days, watched the film, read some of the work, uh, especially uh, looking at uh, your relationship with uh, Mr. Winfred Rembert, who couldn't be with us tonight. And I am just so thankful for the work that you have done. And I have just really enjoyed um, looking at your artwork, his artwork. I mean, it's just a wonderful universe of not only black history, but black inspiration, black affirmation that you've created. Let me ask you, Dr. Whitaker, how did this begin in in terms of your urgency, your sense of urgency to memorialize the 4,000 lynching victims that we lost? For some reason, um, I think it has always was this pain I felt when I saw the pictures and knowing I knew how important in the black culture to have funerals. And I remember when I was like three or four and I was at a funeral and I remember the minister standing over a grave and saying, ashes to ashes, dust to dust. And I always felt pain that so many people never got that. And so um, I started saying, I'm going to give, I'm going to do a funeral for them. They deserve it. And I want it to be a funeral in style. And I said, I don't know where, <clears throat> where I would have it, but I decided to, I, took, I said, I have it in my backyard. Why not? Just as long as I do this for them, they deserve it. Because what people don't know so often that when they lynch people, they will put gasoline on their bodies and burn them up. Uh, depending on where you were, there was a rule that you can, if the family member came and got that body, they will come and get you. You get that body, they'll come and get you. And so this thing that it wasn't finished, that they never got the ashes, the ashes, they never got their prayer, and I just felt that I cannot bring them back, but I can give them a prayer. And plus, I always felt that these people were loved. Somebody cared about them. Uh, and I said they never got the chance to say goodbye. Funerals are often not only for the ones who are buried, but for the living. To say that goodbye and bring something to an end and give this soul rest. And they never got that. And someone was saying recently in South Georgia, where I'm from, you know, we don't refer to things as hate. And it's believed that if the, if the spirit never have a right burial, those hates will never rest. 
And so I think in having this funeral that we gave rest, an end, a coming, um, you say rest in peace, we were able to do that. And I'm so mm-hmm. grateful for that. Well, I, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm one of the things I, I, I really want to highlight here for all of us as we listen uh, to the work that you have done to honor all black persons who have been lynched as a, because of racial hate is that we are all victims. We are all family. Um, in the 1920s, I think it was the 20s, uh, I had uh, my grandfather sent my Grand uncle to deliver lumber from West Palm Beach, Florida, to Rosewood as the Rosewood community began to rebuild. Mm-hmm. On his way coming back, he was followed by vigil uh, uh, white vigilantes, and he was hanged. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, and what they did was, from what what my mother um, has has written in in their family history, and she was a historian, is that they charred his body, put it on the back mm-hmm. of the truck that he was driving, and they drove it back to Rosewood, and put the whole thing on fire. Mm-hmm. And when I have researched lynching especially in the Reconstruction period, that it was illegal for black families to collect the bodies. Am I right about that? Yes. That was my understanding. Yes. The thing is, was you go get that body, they'll come and get you. So the families Mm -hmm. would not, you know, um, when you listen to, you know, the, the documentary with um, James Baldwin, he talked about Medgar Evers talking about driving back and forth home and seeing this body hanging, and no one removed it. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. if you remove that body, that you know they will come and get you. And mm-hmm. um, there's a friend of mine whose great uh, grandfather was an undertaker, and a family paid him to go and get the body for their loved one. He could have been, mm-hmm. you know, lynched for doing that. And, you know, we, we were speaking about uh, Winfred, remember it, he was the first one to tell me about the three stages of lynching, which I... Uh-huh. Let, me tell, so often, let me tell my audience, uh, let me tell my audience a little about uh, Mr. Winfred Rembert. Uh He was sentenced to 27 years in Georgia, Georgia uh, penal system as a teenager. He had um, uh, stolen a car. And um, he uh, escaped from the prison. And you'll hear from in his own words later on in this broadcast um, about his escape. And he was captured and lynched. Um, at the age of 19. Um, 
tell us about uh, about your relationship with him, Dr. Whitaker, and how that formed, and 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 the essence of it to be in a friendship, in a love ship with a person who has survived lynching. Someone, there's a friend of mine who had worked for years in New York in a gallery, and she was in Boston just going, looking, took a day to just go and look in galleries. And she came back and she says, I saw this beautiful work by this African-American, and he does a lot of work with cotton. And I tend to do some three-dimensional work, and I put real cotton on my some of my work works. And she said he has a show in Hartford, Connecticut. We've got to see his work. And so we went there, and the, someone had done a documentary on um, uh, Winford. And in the documentary, there was this painting, and it had like six graves, and one was empty, and I wanted to know why was there a sixth grade? And he said those people, because humanity had died when they lynched, and this was a grave for humanity. And I thought I heard during the documentary something about lynching. So at the end of it, I stood up, and I said, I'm from Waycross, Georgia. And he said, baby, they lynched a lot of people in Waycross. Winford is from... Georgia, just like I am. We're from the lower third of Georgia. Um, we're in the area, Valdosta, where um, when Trump was recently going down to Georgia, he went to that Lowndes County, which where a lot of clans yeah. to this day still exist. So mm-hmm. Winford, I went out the end of and I started talking with him, and I said, what was this with lynching? And he said, they was lynching me, and I was just, I had never met anyone who had been in the process of being lynched, and so that's how I met him, and I had started doing the work to have this funeral service, and we had started also some work for the film, and I asked him, would he come to Amherst, and so I could interview him. He said, baby, can you cook? I said, well, I do pretty good. <laughs> He said, if you can cook, Pat's and I'll come up. And when I told um, Taylor Ree and her father, Taylor told her father, go where he is. Don't have him come to Amherst. Go to his world. And so we went there, and we started, I mean, we filmed, went for like two or three months. Um, they filmed both of us, but, you know, with Winford, he has such an amazing story. So that's how I, I met him. And the thing is, because. It's funny that we're from the same area, in a sense, that we can easily talk and relate. And that mm-hmm. sort of developed a bond between us. And Winford was the one that told me, and I did not know this, that there were three stages to lynching. One was, in his case, they tied him by, you know, in the South, when they kill a hog, they tie the hog mm-hmm. by his hind legs. And so they had done that to work. And so that they would have access to his sexual organs to remove them. And that's the first step. The second, which we all 
everybody you think of lynching, you think of the noose. That's the second part. And the third part is they put gasoline on your body and they burn you up. They had started the first part with Winford. And if you ever see people in grocery stores cutting boxes open, there's a certain kind of knife they use. It's, it has a hook to it, and it's very sharp. And that's the one they was using on Winford to start removing his sexual organs. And so someone came. Winford was upside down because they tied him by his hind legs. Right, not hind legs, but his lower extremities. And someone, the person who was getting ready to remove his sexual organs had started was the local sheriff. So that's why black folks don't have, always have had this dislike and fear of the police. And he said when they took him out of the trunk of the uh, um, the state trooper's car, he said there was close to 50 there to watch his lynching. And so they, that's when, you know, he they only, someone came and who must have been a very powerful person, told them to not kill him. Let's make an example out of him. But they had already started to cut Winfred. And you hear him say he took his um, shirt off and put Mm -hmm. it in his legs so that he could stop bleeding. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So eventually they put him in prison for 27 years, and he got out in seven he learned how to read and write in prison, and once he learned how to read and write, when he went to work on the highways, he would drop letters. And he said, you know, everybody in prison, nobody's, everybody's innocent in prison. But he wrote that letter for five years, and eventually someone mailed that letter, and the congressperson from Dellum, from California, came and got Winford out of prison. Ron Dellum. Ron Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, to fill in some of this history, one of the things that made this so brutal and why law enforcement was so heavily involved in his in uh, Mr. Rimpert's uh, lynching um, event was that he had escaped from jail, and when he escaped from jail, he had put put the sheriff in the cell where he was and locked him up, and and that was humiliating to this sheriff. And he rounded up all his law enforcement buddies (laughs) to make sure that Mr. Rempert was going to get a lesson. Yep. Um, And and many people don't realize, uh, Dr. Whitaker, that during that time when you traveled, even in my childhood, when you traveled, uh, we had family in Tallahassee, Jacksonville, and Jacksonville mm-hmm. was so close to Valdosta. I mean, Valdosta in was in Waycross, right. And, and, and there were certain uh, times of, of day that it really wasn't safe to travel in that area if you were black. Um, When my family and I traveled to Tallahassee, when we got through to Perry, uh, Mm. Florida, 
Right. Uh, my dad had a driving plan that always said, you got to get through Perry before it was dark. Mm. And there were other uh, other areas that traveling, you know, be- this was before it was uh, I-95. And oh, yeah. in the South, black people had to be very, very careful um, uh, moving about uh, in mm-hmm. automobiles because in 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 those little small towns uh I just want to tell you I just love your um your hometown on, on Norcross um, ah! <laughs> do um, you remember when recently when Trump came to Valdosta Lowndes County because they know that is a stronghold for Trumpsters when Walnut came there, Walnut's grandparents uh, lived around a corner from me in Waycross. He was in Valdosta. My niece lives there. And she said that the state troopers had to escort him out of Valdosta because the Klan mm-hmm. showed up. This is mm-hmm. 2020. So they have yep. still, And, you know, that's the area where Aubrey, with the one young man who was jogging, and Brunswick was, right. you know, killed. And mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, the famous case of um, Hayes, the, the black woman who was pregnant, that it was ni- 1918 when they uh, mutilated her, cut open her belly, and her baby fell out, and they took her baby to death. So that was in Lowndes County in Valdosta. Mhm, mhm, and and so, and, and that, you know that, one of the things, and I, I do want to get back to um, um, events of, of of lynching, but one of the things that we 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 do have to understand about why the Trump era is so dangerous for us as mm-hmm. Black people mm-hmm. is that. All of these places, Norcross, Jacksonville, Tallahassee, Perry, uh, outside of, inside of Arlette, all of those places, Trumpers emerged because they were already there. Oh, yeah. And he was speaking their language. He was speaking to them, for them, and they With were him. organizing, which is why more than 1,500 people can show up at a rally on January 6th, and they bring pipes and and hockey sticks and all kinds of stuff. But let's let, let's get back to it. I was really hoping that uh, Mr. Rembert would be yeah. with us tonight, but he was unable to be with us tonight, and we're hoping to schedule him to come in and talk more about this and his art. His art is just absolutely Your art is just absolutely beautiful. I have already told my daughter, you've got to get to Springfield to go to Dr. Whitaker's uh, art collection. And mm. and I, um, I emailed Barry Gaither at the Center for National African American Artists in Roxbury, and I said, how come you didn't tell me about Mr. <laughs> Rembert? Because he, he kind of keeps me in order about art. Uh-huh. 
but my daughter really is the art collector. And wow. if she knocks on your do- if she knocks on your door tomorrow, don't be surprised because she's listening oh, that'd be tonight. Nice. That'll be great. That'll be great. Um, they're going to so, uh, mm-hmm. the Broma B R O M E R Gallery in in Boston is going to exhibit some of my work from September to um, December. We're in the process of you know negotiating all the contracts and stuff like that. And uh, Boston great. Anthony. Um, wanted to, they had planned on showing the film and uh, they bought the book, um, the book of etchings that I did that's in the Library of Congress. They were one of the first to uh-huh. buy and so they're trying to uh, plan something this fall um, to show the work and to for me to come there. So that would be in the Boston area. And um, um, so... Now it's, oh, it's, one of the things that I've already done, I've started being your agent. Um, I sat on a Boston federal board around um, GSA operations, and there was a curator, an art curator for, for the General Services Administration, and mm-hmm. I suggested to her on Friday that she take a look at your art um, and – as as one of the ways they are trying to ter- change the culture of art in federal facilities. So oh, I'm, wow. I'm retired now, so but I still know people. <laughs> and I That's and I nice. told her this yes. is my soror. You got to put this yes. in place. Yes, but, yes. But, but Shirley, l- let me let's talk about lynching. Mm-hmm. Um and and. <clears throat> One of the things that I was so moved by was this um uh the publication of Without Sanctuary. Mm. And the first time I saw that mm. I had I was on the verge of tears. My heart was so heavy. I was mm. on the verge of tears for days after mm. watching um those those images. Talk mm. to mm. us about how the history of lynching as a people has, I want to say, snatched our souls. It's truly amazing. I mean, I, when you look at those pictures, and you know when they was they had a developer a way to develop those pictures immediately to give to people. Did you know that? Yes. So that people yes. could take them back home. I didn't know that. You know, in reading, I said they like had one of the a Polaroid or something. I mean, and they was able to develop those pictures, little postcards, for people to send them um, around the country or collect them. You know, along with the fact, you see those photographs. In some of the photographs, you you see something hanging in, you know, like an apron. So they're covering up the fact that they removed the, the, the male's sexual organs and put them in jars. Uh, people would bid for them or they, or they give them as souvenirs. Winford said, you know, he was on a plantation. They made postcards so that people... They took those 
photographs and made postcards and sent them to friends. And they, they developed them. Sometimes 10,000 people showed up. And, you know, if you see some of those photographs and you see um, an apron hanging in it to cover up the fact that they had removed this person's sexual organs. And Winfrey said that when he was on the plantation, that the, ma- the, uh, the master of the plantation took him into a barn and showed him his collection of black men's sexual organs and had them lined up in a jar. And they told Winford, this is what's going to happen to you if you don't straighten up. So the, the idea, and you look at those photographs and you see babies there, children there, you know, teenagers, all ages, male and females, and some people dress in their finery to come and see what happened to, an, uh, uh, to an, another human being. They were able to do that because they accept you up as being not human. So therefore, whatever I did to you, you deserve. And plus, the Bible said you post to the slave should uh, honor his master. And so they they are comfortable because they've already put in their mind that you don't need to live anyway. You're nothing but an animal. That has always been pervasive in this culture, and it has not changed. It is there. Uh, You know, my thing is, it is with those pictures that what is that imprinted in their minds is that they are superior and what they did was okay. Mm -hmm. Now, Mm -hmm. so there's two sides of this coin. Patients are telling me he's from a town, town smaller than Waycross, um, and he said that he and his father was walking on the sidewalk, and he, a black man, his son was coming towards them, and the black man, his son, stepped off and stepped off, in the, off the sidewalk to let them pass. Now, what did that do to the black man and his son, and what did it do to the white man and his son? It set a certain image. That and you know, of course, he said, "I'm not a racist," but I, it, it's just that I think it imprints certain thing on things on the mind, and that you filter that back, and it becomes a part of you. And so, just like that young black little boy saw his father step off, what did that do to him? How did that take away the value that he? He he's of no value. He's no, he is below this white person, and that's one thing they have always perpetuated. This is one thing they've always said. This is one thing that to this day we have no value, and all. So that allows them to feel comfortable not doing all three stages of this lynching: remove your sexual organs, put a noose around your neck, and hang you, and then burn your body up. That's what, and what they did to Floyd is my understanding that people that go hunting, and when that man had his knee on his neck, is what you do to a deer. deer. That's That's right. To Mm -hmm. take life Mm -hmm. out of that deer. And you saw how he rocked to make sure he got the, the right spot to do this. 
that was a that was a lynching. You you know, I think of a lynching is when somebody serves as judge and crucifier of a human being. And some say it needs to be more than one too. But I and so when you had those slave hunters who are today they say over time they are what we have as for police now. The person that was removing went for sexual organs was a sheriff with all these state troopers there. So this need to maintain the superiority over another human other human being. So they do this to maintain the sense that they are superior. I try to do things to push for us to instill in ourselves that to value ourselves. You was talking about lift every voice and sing, those words in it. Because that song is so powerful. Done in nineteen and I think I I cannot blame nobody else if our children do not know that song. You, Winfield will talk about when he was in prison, how he used music. That's one of the ways that black folks were able to survive, is that they used music and they had a community to help them to survive. He said, for some reason, Georgia penal system is one of the worst in the world, they say. And Winfrey said, somehow music helps. So using, how do you survive this? And one of the ways that we've been able to survive is music. My grandmother said, you can just raise a hymn or you can hum, and the, the devil doesn't need to know what you're saying, but it gives strength to your soul that you can survive. I interviewed about 20 to 25 African-Americans who are 80 and older, and I asked, I wanted to know why do they think we survived 400 years of this? Because people fell apart with four years of Trump. Try 400 years of this. When the things they would do to you just because they had the power to do that. They could pop your finger, their finger, and your life is taken away. You have no value. So four years, people were crying and falling apart. I just told black folks, honey, this ain't your first rodeo. You've been on this rodeo for 400 years. And we need to look back and figure out how we make made it. And one of those things was lift every voice and sing. And music. That Absolutely. Gave us music. And Absolutely. the thing as a community that when I was, I remember in the second grade when I had chicken pox and everybody in the community, I looked out the window, and there was four or five ladies together, and they had bags, little sacks, and they had jars. Everybody had a day to come and give a remedy. And I said, if they put one more thing on my chest, I was going to cave in. <laughs> but the, the mm-hmm. word got out that, you know, uh, Charlie May Baby is sick. That was it. Everybody showed up. Mm-hmm. They showed up mm-hmm. to see. We, cause that, we only had each other because we really didn't hospitals was not, like they are now in some respects. It's not a haven for us. That some people don't think we have a right to be there. And when we go, sometimes we do not get the treatment we deserve. And it's not based on your education. It's not based on the fact you got money. If that was the case, Serena, River, Serena Williams should not have had problems because she sure ain't poor. So 
over mm. time. But in spite of this, somehow we have survived. And, you know, when we had the Spanish flu, black folks didn't have access to hospitals. But we had to find a way to survive. We lost a lot of people because we did not get the best of care then. So 100 years later, where are we now? So we have to determine what we can do to survive. And that we have always found a way and we somehow, in spite of the fact that all the things they have done to take away our sense of ourselves, somehow there was a little grain left, you know, like the sand that forms a pearl. All we need is a little grain. And from that, we kept, you know, moving until we have a pearl, just like that clam does. Get that pearl. And for us, if we just had a little grain of hope, we built on that. Because that's mm-hmm. the only way we will survive. There's very little in the system outside of ourselves to survive what we've gone through. Now, let me ask you, um, one of the things that I know is that understanding, knowing some parts, the uh, terrorism, the tragedies, the disparities that we have faced as a people in in our history in this country, when we understand it, when we know, it becomes such a burden. So let me ask you, how much of what Eddie and Charlie Mae Jackson sent you off to Yale University and Emory University Medical Schools how much of what they gave you and what did they give you to allow you to be successful and to still have your hand on the plow of black struggle? I think for some, maybe I, I, I think... You pick up certain things in an environment. I remember if my, I, would, I woke up, I wake up early in the morning, and my mother, I, she would dress really fancy if she was going to church and she was going to vote. She thought voting was very important. And I remember that. I do not remember them sitting me down and telling me what the N-word was. No one did that. But I remember when I was like four or five, we lived outside of Waycross. I mean, we was, we was the last row of houses, and you go across the road, and there were white people. And I used to play with this little white girl. And I remember, yeah, and that hot Georgia sun and that sand just playing and playing. But I remember her mother coming and saying, Shalane, um, you're going to have to go home now because I'll be hard-pressed to explain to my, my kin folks how I let my child play with a nigger. No one had told me what that word was, but I knew that it took away, it devalued me. 
that I was not worthy. I knew I it was something horrible she was calling me. So I stood up, I dust my the sand off my clothes, and I walked home. And what I remember to this day, I didn't walk home with my head down. I walked home with my head up. And I remember saying to myself, I would never, ever go back to that house again. And my sister, someone did, um, uh, came and did a video of me in home, and I was talking about that. And my sister said, you never told us. I said, why did I have to tell you? I had already made my decision what I was going to do, and I did it. But I think somehow I sensed that that it was wrong what they were doing, it was wrong that white folks had no right to treat me the way they were treating me. And any time I got hint of that, I stepped back. I, to this day, have problems going to Dairy Queen because I knew one hot day in Georgia, we went to a window, and this white girl told me, I can't say niggas at this window. You need to go to the side. Yep, that was it. And so I think it was the the atmosphere Somehow my parents let me know to value myself. Mm-hmm. And they, you, but somehow you knew that something was different between black and white and you would not. When I remember when I was around some older black ladies and a white person come up, they said, here come, they said, here come Miss, Miss Lynch, Miss, here come Miss, some would say Miss Lynch. But some would say, here come Miss uh, Lucy. In other words, this white woman is coming, step back. You don't say anything, you get quiet. So you knew that there was a difference, and they tend to find ways to let you know. Although I was in a predominantly black community, I did, you know, we ventured out. But you knew somehow. So I, I, I think that I knew that I had to value myself. I always knew that I had to give back to the black community. The first chance I got when I was, you know, um, in Atlanta, I did a a newsletter for that community where Martin Luther King had grew up, near Grady Hospital. I knew I, I always have done that. I always have somehow found ways to give back to strengthen my people. And maybe that's where this idea of remembering them and respecting them and want them to know that we cared about them is where this thing from ashes to ashes comes. So when I look back on my life, always I find ways to plan something, establish something where I will give back. And now, right now with COVID, I'm doing a pamphlet so that, because my people are dying. So I'm doing this pamphlet, so letting it be for everyday black folks to know what to do to try to help themselves. Because the hospital may turn you away. And what you're going to do, you're COVID positive, you got a slight temperature, shortness of breath, what can you do? So I put it in a pamphlet, and um, we're doing it in English and in Spanish. So it's always, when I hear about these people dying, I feel so sad, and I'm saying, what can I do? 
So for the last three or four months on Sunday at 12 o'clock, um, I talk about, you know, it called Honey, we, we Need to Talk. And it's trying to help my people, you know, navigate this. What can I tell them? What can I tell them? They got shortness of breath. Lay on your belly, not your back. That might help you. What is a breathing technique that you may be able to use? So mm-hmm. I've always felt the need to get back, and I think that comes from my parents. My father would plant our wow. land, and when it's time to harvest, he'd get on the phone or go house to house and say, all right, Miss Cadonia, I got a mess of greens out there with your name on it, giving back. And that's imperative. Mm. Yeah. And so yeah. I think that I set from them. We're going to take a break, and when we come back on the other side, I'd like to talk to you about Dr. Shirley Jackson Whitaker, artist and physician. Mm. Um because um, you, you, I, I find your story amazing. I am so honored to uh, have this opportunity to talk with you and to share your story and the work that you do. Uh, it's hard on the radio to talk about art, but one of the things that strikes me so strongly, Shirley, is that mm. I can see your spirit in your art, in your story. You're listening to Our Common Ground. It is the first episode of Black History Month. Don't forget to check us out next week when we're going to be talking about black medical experimentation and how it fits into our history. Thank you so very much for being with us tonight, Ashes to Ashes, Addressing Racial Injustice in America with Dr. Shirley J. Whitaker. You stay tuned. Don't you go anywhere because we're going to be right back here in just a second after these messages. And um, we are so grateful for you to be part and in the sanctuary tonight. And some bad things happen in this country where Americans tortured other Americans due to the color of their skin. That went on so long in America. What are you going to do about it? Because I remember as a little girl when we went to a funeral and they lowered that casket in the ground, the minister would say, ashes to ashes. Dust to dust. A lot of people never got there. So we're looking back in history so this patient can live. We're looking back in history so this patient can thrive. We're looking back in history so this patient can become very strong. But this patient can only live and get stronger if we're willing to look back. So tonight we start. There's an African proverb that says, you speak my name and I will live forever. So tonight we will speak some names. You're listening to Our Common Ground with Janice Graham. Stay tuned and we'll be right back with more. It's amazing how people can come together by spending time apart. 
Quest Diagnostics thanks you for doing your part to stop the spread of the coronavirus through social distancing and proper hygiene. At Quest, we're doing our part by establishing COVID-19 lab testing capabilities across the country to better serve our communities and healthcare providers. If you suspect you have COVID-19, talk to a healthcare provider and let's keep doing our part so we can all come back together stronger than ever. How do you wake up the entire African-American community to the hidden issue of mental health? It showed up in my life through one of my best friends. And we've been friends for over 30 years. One story at a time. If we would have known earlier, you know, we would have been more, much more supportive with her. Once I reached out to my sister, it got a little better. Once I told my mother, it got a little better. The more I talked about it, I felt it coming off. The healing is in me, and the healing in the journey can also be extended to others. It's our community and our mental health. Giving voice to what you're feeling is part of the healing. If you're strong enough to just open your mouth, that's all it takes. And the most revolutionary and healing thing that black people can do right now is to love one another. It's time to share ourselves. Healing starts with us. A message from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, the Ad Council, and the Stay Strong Foundation. Because our society is only as strong as all its individuals, the United Negro College Fund has helped educate thousands of doctors and researchers, but we need more. Thousands of architects and engineers, but we need more. Thousands of teachers and biologists, but we need more. And when disease, injustice, pollution, poverty, and countless other problems threaten to pull us apart, we had better educate every single person who has the potential to solve our problems. And to educate more people, we need more of your help. Give to the United Negro College Fund. With so much at stake, a mind is a terrible thing to waste. That what we see before our eyes, the sky is green and the grass is blue. But one thing you can't deny, these people are sabotaging this country. Nothing comes to a sleeper but a dream. Drilling down, just damn. When injustice becomes law, resistance becomes duty. This is Alpha, hosting the best of pushback talk radio. The Alpha Show. He's back. The Alpha Show, August 26th, Wednesday, 10 p.m. The Alpha Show. And he uh, went for his gun. I took it away from him. And he's begging me not to shoot him. So I said, well, I'm not going to shoot you, but I'm going to lock you up. So I locked him in his cell, and I fled. Went to his house of civil rights workers, I thought. The woman answered the door. I told her what had happened. She went in the next room and called the police. Next thing I know, 
every white man in Cuthbert, Georgia, standing out there in the yard. Threw me in the trunk of the car. About a 30-minute ride, and when they opened up the trunk, I saw these ropes hanging from the tree, nooses. A place designed looked like to hang people. When they put the rope up around my feet, pulled me up in the tree, here comes the deputy sheriff that I lock in the cell, and he's got a knife. And he come up and he grabbed my private parts. And he took his knife and he stuck me. They was going to castrate me and then hang me and burn me. I was 19 years old. And there I am bleeding like a pig hanging up in the tree, ready to be slaughtered like a hog. And then another white man grabbed his arm and told him, don't do that. We got better things we can do with this nigga. I took my shirt, rolled it up between my legs like that when I was in the trunk of the car and squeezed my legs together. I saved myself. Joining us at Our Common Ground with Janice Graham, transforming truth to power, one broadcast at a time. It's been a long, a long time coming, but I know a change gonna come. Oh, yes, it will. It's been too. And now, back to Janice. And we thank you for being with us. What you heard from Mr. Winfred Rembert, a survivor of lynching and one of the subjects of Ashes to Ashes, addressing racial injustice in America documentary. And I have posted how you can watch this film on online in our chat room, and if you would like to get uh, the link, the filmographer, author of Ashes to Ashes is with us. You can get the link at ourcommonground.com on my Facebook page, on Our Common Ground Facebook page, on all the Facebook pages. I have nine Facebook pages, so you can find it. And you can also go to uh, Ashes to Ashes, uh, Google, and Google Dr. Shirley Whitaker, whom we are honored to have as our guest tonight. I want to remind you that on Thursday night here at Our Common Ground, Dr. James Taylor will present the second of the four-part lecture series on the history of black protest movements in America. And if you missed the first one, it's in our archives here at blogtalkradio.com backslash OCG and on our website as well. You missed the history that you will never hear. I mean, 
I, I, I sat here listening to Dr. Taylor on Thursday night for two hours, and the gems and analysis of history that you can't find in one book because he has like about 99 books loaded up in his brain, and he has <laughs> done the analysis of how each historical element fits together. So it's Thursday night, 8 p.m. here at Our Common Ground, and don't forget about the Alpha Show on Friday nights at 10 p.m. at our sister channel, Toothworks Network. Uh, Alpha is bringing it hard. I mean, Alpha had a pot of hot grits uh, for your government, <laughs> for your for your <laughs> leaders uh, sitting on the stove on Friday on last night. And you, I mean, Alpha is a working man, and he has a working man insight into all the political machinations that's going on in this country. So check out the Alpha Show at TruthWorks Network, 10 p.m. every Friday night. And thank you again for being with us. And Dr. Whitaker, thank you so much uh, for joining us. It is very hard to listen to members of the family and to Mr. Rembert. I I don't know how I was going to keep it together, Dr. Whitaker, if he were able to join us tonight. Because my my heart explodes, and and along with my brain, when I hear him talking about that incident, let me ask you a question. And you are his friend. Mm-hmm. How do you come back from a lynching? Well, with, uh, <laughs> there aren't many people like Winford, and he, you know, he. In talking to him, Winfrey will tell you that he only gets two hours of sleep, and that's with medication. So he has severe uh, post-traumatic stress um, syndrome. He, the thing, he says when he closes his eyes at night, they're back with a noose because they hadn't finished what they had planned to do. So he wake up fighting, trying to save himself. So that is the um, action, you know, you see him doing that, but the internal things that are going on because of that. Because, you know, our DNA has something called telomere, telomere, T-E-L-E-M-E-R-E, which is at the tip end of the DNA, and it's there to protect your, you know, your, your, um, on the tip in your chromosomes to t- protect your DNA. With stress, that is eliminated. So you, your DNA is protected. So you exposed to multiple, multiple problems, which Winfrey does have. You, um, if you're stressed, you don't sleep, and if you don't sleep. You, there are five rim rapid eye movements uh, that you should have. You can't, you shouldn't skip those. You know, go from one to five because it will show up eventually in your body. So with Winford sleeping 
two hours a night only with medication, his REM sleep is basically destroyed. And what happens with that when, you know, people aren't sleeping well, they get a lot of people, I'm sure, have heard of um, sleep apnea. When there's a period of time that you don't, because of lack of sleep. And sleep apnea is associated with diabetes, hypertension, obesity. So it's all of these internal things that go on. When you're stressed out, you know, you have the circadian rhythm and secretion of cortisone. If you're frightened, cortisone is released to help you deal with the trauma that you're facing. But if that trauma never goes away, so you get continuous secretion of cortisone, which is detrimental to the body. So for Winford, how do you come back from that, from being in the process of being lynched? It, he hasn't. He hasn't been able to come back. The last, you know, I, I talked with him last Monday, but the time for that I talked with him, and you know what he said he wanted? He didn't say, I want a Tesla. I know he didn't say he want a fancy car, nothing fancy. He says, you know, I just want to be able to go to bed and sleep all night long. He just wanted, he just wanted sleep. He has never mm-hmm. had that in over 40-some years, that he has the inability just something as simple as sleeping. And that's what he told me he wanted. If I could, if I, if he could get that, because you know sometimes they talk about the frog in water, and the water's hot, the frog fights to get out. But when it's so in lynching people, it's done. You know they go through these three stages, but most of the time when they remove all your sexual organs, as Winfrey said, you already bled to death. But the lynching is continuing for him. They no longer have a noose on him, but the trauma that he went through because of that is causing a slow death because he got all the problems associated with the fact that he doesn't, he has sleep apnea, he doesn't have the five stages of REM sleep, and it's evident to this day in his health because his his DNA, his chromosomes don't have the protection of the telomere because they are eliminated with stress. They did studies at um, UCSF on women who are pregnant and went through some trauma, and when the babies are born, they check, and the telomeres are really small. They're not the length they should be. And so wow. the mother went through some stress. She passed it on to her babies. So Winford went through, he was 19 years old and hanging from a tree. The stress with that, I don't think he, his telomeres, and then to go to prison. He was in one of the most intense prisons in this country, in the world. So he, he that his telomere has never had the opportunity to come back because he's forever being slowly linked. Let me ask you about this telomere, uh, mm-hmm. because I really am a proponent that most black people, especially black people who grew up in the South in the 40s and 50s, 
suffer from post-traumatic stress disorder as a result of the constant vigilance that black people have to have to protect themselves from racial hate. But in this telomere thing, um, <laughs> which is a, just an interesting fa- medical fact, I am wondering if the prevalence, the disproportionate prevalence of the diseases that you mentioned, um, diabetes, heart condition, uh, even kidney um, disease, mm-hmm. is it contributes or can be attributed to the degradation of the telomere in our bodies, in our DNA structure. It's thought that that's that's the case. Um, Those babies that I was telling you about, if the, the babies are born with very short telomere, but if they are put into another nurturing environment, the telomere can uh, rejuvenate and become normal. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So if given the opportunity, which Winford never had, because he's been under constant stress, and there's a thought that because of the destruction, when the DNA is not protected, it tends to be uh, subject to um, abnormalities which show up in uh, diseases. Sleep apnea, mm-hmm. apnea, which is associated with stress, stress causes a telomere problem, stress causes constant secretion of uh, cortisol. Mm-hmm. With sleep apnea, diabetes, hypertension, obesity, you name it, is associated with that. Wow. So I would think that all of these things come together and make certain groups tend to be prone to um, a lot of health issues. And, you know, now, right now, if you are the mother of a black son in America, you, you in the back, you, you got a level of stress that's there because of the fear. Mm-hmm. And you know there's no way you can protect your child. There's mm-hmm. nothing you can tell them to do mm-hmm. because the system is set up for destruction. Well, and you one of the things own. that, with that kind of understanding, one of the things then is another fear is that black people, because of that kind of stress, will choose denial as a protection. Am I on the right track here? I think. I think which causes health and mental health problems. Well, see the thing. Is, oh, definitely. But the thing is that it's just like that frog in the water when the water temperature just slowly increases. I mean, we may not realize that we're not sleeping well. We may not. We mm-hmm. suppress the stress, but it's there. Just mother, mm-hmm. you understand mm-hmm. that cortisol mm-hmm. is being constantly. If you don't get the circadian rhythm, which you need, the body needs that. You know, if you're playing the piano, there's a rest in the piano. Very few 
um, music sheets would, would not have a rest on the sheet. But if you never, so even music sheet would have a rest in it. But if you're constantly under stress, you don't get a rest. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes you may not be aware of why you're depressed because you're trying to push away a hide, as you know, maybe deny the fact that you mm-hmm. under this stress because you think you got it all under control. Yeah, yeah. And it's true. And, and, and I, I think we see these patterns. We see these patterns all in in our community, and and you know the overeating, the drugs, the smoking, the alcoholism. The bad habits of all the shopaholics. Uh, We see um, these patterns of of, I call them patterns of fear uh, all over our community. Dr. Whitaker, with 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 your concentration as an artist, how much of this are you translating into your art? Um, there are pieces that I do that relate to um, stress. Uh, I relate, you know, like you said, next week you're going to talk about um, medical problems. Experimentation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, the one that people have talked about in the, I guess, over the last three years, is about yeah. those four or five black slaves who um, this guy who's considered the father of gynecology did all the experiments on and without causing, without giving them anesthesia. When I was in medical okay. school. That's exactly I, what we're going to be talking about. <laughs> I did a painting based on just my professor, when I was in medical school, he, you know, was a guest professor, he came in, and he showed some anger at what had happened to these ladies. And I, I, did, I didn't go at the end of the lecture and ask, who are you talking about? And I, I did a painting to them just on the little bit I heard. And someone had interviewed me and called me and said, listen to NPR because they're talking about your ladies. Because I mm. did this painting with them, and that mm-hmm. because I was I wanted to do something for them, and I did this painting for them. You know, the thing is that when they did that those procedures on them, you know, they was trying to this this uh, surgeon was trying to come up with um, a treatment for fistulas, and fistulas is like. Um, a connection between the say the vagina and the colon because they're all down there together. And mm-hmm. so because the stool will come out of your vagina, these women had recurrent infections and over a period of time, because of that, they had a smell. And they were relegated to this shed until they died. And that's what I remember this professor saying about what had happened to them. 
that they he had done all one of the young ladies had thirty surgeries done and no anesthesia. So she had you know, she lost all things to control for her bladder, her um um colon and her vagina. So she didn't have no thing to control. So she's a subject to recurrent infections and unable to because she had no thing to control, she really couldn't go places. They could go places because they were stool on themselves and smell. So there was really so I, I remember that. So I did that in a painting before I even knew the story about them. But I just remember him making that statement and I always felt this despair and pain for them. I always feel hurt about that. So the scream of Dr. Shirley Whitaker has always had this art stream going going through through your life. It's some you know that you've already some form, created art. Yeah. It's in certain pieces that I I've done, um I'm mindful of the impact, a way of remembering, um, a way of doing something to honor my people. I do a whole series on the South. You know, you got the Usher board, you got the wash day scene, you got the choir, people going to church, and this sense of community that we had at one point. So I think that remembering and respecting and not always never uh, turning away from what they gave me. What they had to give me is a sense of myself and a love for what what I had, what they gave me. And um, I tend to put certain pieces that um, is, reflect the fact that I had to find a way to respect and to honor them. And I did, a, you know, the cotton where I put real cotton on there, but I did not want to paint them as being demeaned. So when you look at the painting, these two young boys look at you, they look at you eye to eye. So I think that it's filtered through that and hopefully um, showing, always showing respect for them and always remembering. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I would be remiss by having a discussion with you without talking about your practice as a kidney specialist. Um, I am a big proponent of organ uh, donor Donation. registration. Mm-hmm. My daughter mm-hmm. is a kidney donor. She gave mm. her, at age 20, she gave her father uh, a kidney. Wow. Uh, and I supported that even though I knew that, you know, there would be some risk for her in her life, uh, <laughs> that uh, even um, with with children that p- potentially could have kidney disease that, she would not be able to be a donor, but there would be other donors. Talk to us right. about black people and 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 kidney disease and organ donation. <laughs> uh, the kidney disease that is 
very um, prevalent among African Americans is the one that we talked about, diabetes, hypertension, obesity. Each one of those are associated with um, some form of kidney disease. Diabetes and hypertension are the two main ones that are very prevalent in the black community. Um, prevention, um, I think, is modifying. On one hand, it's mod- alteration your diet to hopefully prevent you from getting hypertension and um, making you aware of the fact that, for example, hypertension. I always say, ask, is your blood pressure less than 140 over 90? If not, why not? And I, I was on this radio program about 10 years in Springfield, and I would say, if your blood pressure is not controlled and this doctor cannot control it, you find someone that can because you're setting yourself up for renal failure. That's that person's job. If they can't do their job, go and find someone that can. Diabetes. Although a lot of these things I said may be associated with stress, finding ways to deal with the stress early in life so that you won't have this damage that only thing that can deal with it is a transplant. Only thing that can correct it is um, when you got then had a stroke because your blood pressure was not controlled and your kidneys shut down because of diabetic nephropathy, diabetes destroying your kidneys. So there are different prevention definitely should include ways to deal with your stress, being mindful of the things you need to do to get your blood pressure under control, your diet under control to try to prevent that diabetes. Mm. Now, once you have those things, working to get them under control. And it, you know, it's just so sad that sometimes physicians don't do what they're supposed to do. A, a man came to me because he looked at his lab that his doctor gave him, and the doctor gave him said, everything is fine. But he looked and he saw that he was spilling a lot of proteins in his urine, and he says, I need to find me an, a kidney doctor. And he was on the road to having diabetic nephropathy. But he modified his diet, and his kidney function was put under control. So it, you got to be mindful of your health, be an advocate for yourself, and knowing what you need to be, you know, like your blood pressure isn't less than 140 90, you taking that to mind and demanding that someone control your blood pressure. Uh, I was talking to a woman tonight. She said, I, I knew I should have come to you, and I just sort of, I felt good. So I didn't think I need, my blood pressure wasn't a problem. But she said my blood, she said my blood pressure wasn't controlled, but I was feeling fine. They don't call hypertension the silent killer for nothing. It's just like termites eating on a house. If you saw a house and this one says, I give you that house, you give me $100,000, I give you that house. Unless you're completely insane, 
you would want that house inspected because termites could be eaten away at the foundation of that house. So you need to have investigation done to look at that because with hypertension, you can feel good. Diabetes, some people present in, in kidney failure because somebody didn't look at the proteins in their urine. They looked at the blood, and the blood looked normal. But the problem with diabetic, your blood can be completely beautiful, but your kidneys are being destroyed because of the diabetes, and it presents with what we call microalbuminuria or proteinuria, an increase in proteins in your urine because your kidneys are sick. And so it takes that you've got to be vigilant about your health, and if someone is not doing their job, you need to find somebody else. Wow. Well, thank you for that because we need to hear it more and more. I think I'm going to make a break uh, clip just off of what you just said because I do think that there are those of us out there. I mean, I have been very blessed uh, for uh, I'm a cancer survivor, and Mm -hmm. I had the very best of medical care that – and shout out to Brigham and Women's Hospital and the Cancer Center. Um, oh wow! Um, uh, that where I was treated, and I've I've just been blessed to have the best of medical care, the 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 best of medical practitioners uh, available, and that is because I had. A doctor like you who loved me, who was my general mm. practitioner, who said, right. "We, we, here's who you go to. Don't go to anybody else." I mean, and we have to be advocates. We we have to be advocates, and we have to learn how to say to a doctor, "I'm not satisfied with what I'm getting here, and I'm not satisfied with the medical progress I'm making," and um. I'll, I'll see you later because I'm going to get a second opinion from somebody else. <laughs> and 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 some black people are reluctant to do that. And thank you, thank you so very much for that. Before you go, I want to share uh, another clip from Surviving Lynching and Ashes to Ashes that I prepared because I think it is so very important. Uh, for people to hear it. And for those of you who are listening, if you get on our board now, at the end of our broadcast tonight, I am going to be sharing with you the full documentary, the audio of the full documentary. But you have to call in and get on our board at 347-838-9852. It's about 25 minutes and we will begin it right at the end of our program. So here is something that I, I do want to share with you for now before and talk with Dr. Whitaker about it. It's on my back, mm-hmm. and it's dragging me down. Mm-hmm. Even today, that been 40-some years ago. And even today now, it's dragging me down. Can't rest, man. 
I can't rest. I lay in my bed and I can't rest. I'm running for my life every night. Somebody's after me. And I don't know what to do. Nobody that is say, hey, this is wrong. Don't do it like that. It hurts me to see him in that kind of pain. That pain is there. It needs to be erased. We commit to the ground these bodies and these souls. And let us forever remember and reflect upon the lives. And now back to Our Common Ground. Dr. Whitaker. Yes, ma'am. How how do we properly memorialize the 4,000? How do we acknowledge the pain associated with this black history? I think... Remembering is, I think, important. I think they want that. They want to be remembered. And I have this thing, you know, during the service, I have people to speak their names. And, you know, mm-hmm. that, that's for them and not to forget and to acknowledge that it happened, that they did these cruel things. And they, they've been doing this for a long time. They haven't stopped. But for those who have been lynched, whatever term you want, you know, terrorized all these years, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. whose lives have been taken. We remember them by speaking their name. We remember them by not forgetting what happened and make sure that we let people know. Because someone told me this morning, I just was never aware of this. And you can live in a cocoon in a certain part of this country and maybe never know. There's no need for you to know. I always say, where I grew up, I had to know that white person. That white person did not need to know me because their lives did not depend on them knowing me, but I know my life depends on me knowing them, being able to read them, and what to do to protect myself from them the best I can. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's impossible Mm -hmm. to protect yourself. So I think that... The history of this country, I said this is American history, and we have to let it be known that mm-hmm. the inhumane things that they would do to us. But the thing is that, one, we as a people do what we can to strengthen ourselves and our soul because that is giving respect and remembrance to them to do that. That's important that yeah. you do that. Yeah. That's what what I'm suggesting to what what I'm suggesting to this audience is that we include a memorial to the four thousand that are considered under this wonderful Ashes to Ashes project in our Kwanzaa annual 
celebration of Kwanzaa. You know, I've been saying, Dr. Whitaker, and people look at me all sad at, and that's okay, <laughs> that until we rest, our ancestors who endured, mm. who did not survive, until we put them to rest, which is why your your funeral service is so moving and so important, um, until we do that, We are going to have a wave of something that we can't put our finger on as a people. We as a people which is and why, this country. And this country, is, exactly. They, which is why Brian Steven, what Brian Stevenson, I mean, Brian has sent me uh, um, all kinds of invitations to come to the lynching memorial. Uh-huh. And and I'm 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 really, you know, I have to be honest. Um my daughter had planned year before last all of us were going. Mhm. And it was something in me that I didn't think I could face it. Mm. But I'm going to get my second vaccine, and um, in 2021, I have promised myself that I'm going to go, but I think that we need to incorporate this service, this memorial service, this funeralizing, so that we can say for these 4,000 Ashes to ashes, and and there are not people in this in in this um, audience. I know people who are activist leaders who can organize our churches, our organizations to do something annually to acknowledge. Um, what I do is, if you go to my website, you can pick a name, and you go there and you you sign up. You know, you go and you can pick a person name. And I said, some people, some people say I got the name of John. Um, this uh, James Bond is one of us in there. Um, and they say I go by and say, hey John. And um, I was tentatively thinking on uh, Ida B. Wells' birthday weekend this year to do a day of speaking names and tying it in with uh, uh, the music and the things that help us to survive. So that's mm-hmm. what I'm interested to Yeah, and this is at Shirley yeah, um, That's that the website. Is, yeah, then there's Ashes to Ashes that is a branch of that. So okay. Ashes, mm-hmm. numeral two Ashes, numeral four, E-V-E-R dot com. But if you go to Shirley dot com, it's they you can find it. It's easier you, to find it. You yeah. can find go and you can pick a name. But I'm, I'm planning, you know, I've been so busy doing so many other things. But on Ida B. Wells, she did so much with lynching. Mm-hmm. And for her mm-hmm. birthday weekend, and you know, I think it's July. It's really funny that her, her, grand, her great-granddaughter uh, published the book, Ida B. Queen, and I received it last Monday uh, really? in the mail. 
Yeah, and I'm going to try to get her here on the show uh, for the last um, uh, episode of Black History Month celebration. Um, but um, I, you know, I, I think that was a wonderful thing to do, and 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 I think we all have to begin to tell our our family story, the people who made a difference and. And I really feel bad. My mother wrote uh, a history of her family, and the title of the book is um, The Mighty Banyan. Oh. And I should be writing The Mighty Banyan Part 2. Mm-hmm. Well, somebody, all all these brilliant people in my family, somebody should be doing it. And, and I think that that is a way that we pay homage. Um, and the thing... But I it's, think that it's, it's ShirleyWhitaker.com dot com where you can go right. and begin the process. And I'll be sharing information about, you know, as I said, I wanted, I, I, I'm so appreciative of what Miss um, Ida B. Wells did. I mean, you know, they they was planning on killing her, and she left mm-hmm. and went, I think, to Chicago. But the thing is. I said, I think I wanted to do speak my name, um, those 4,000 names on her birthday, our birthday wow. weekend. We would go for 24 uh-huh. hours and speak names in the education, different aspects of black life because it's all right. woven in there. This is American history, and it needs to be made known, and they should not be forgotten. Well, I think I, I think that between Ashes to Ashes and uh, Ida B. Queen, I mean, <laughs> I have, you know, between Ella Baker and uh, I have portraits of both Ella Baker and Ida B. Wells in really? my home. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh yeah. Um, mm. Ida B. is sitting in between two African female warriors <laughs> and 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 Ella Baker is right next to Billie Holiday uh so um you know i i just think that when we honor we affirm our survival you know one of the things dr dr, dr. james taylor always says black people got to understand that we won, cause we are still here. <laughs> We're still here. Cause they wanted to wipe us all out. <laughs> they, they said it. They still had it, but we added more. We let them. Absolutely. And ain't gonna have, they can do all they want. They will affirm our survival, and that's what. Exactly. That's a part of remembering and respecting all those four thousand lives, because that's right. Brutal they were, and just oh God, no one as as Winford wife said, no one said don't do this to him. He didn't deserve this. Yeah. Nobody did anything. Yeah, yeah. and that's uh, to this day. Yeah, yeah. Well, Doctor Shirley Whitaker, uh, two things. I'm getting my second vaccine on March six. And the first uh-huh. thing I'm doing is heading to Boston. You know, I lived in Boston for 50 years, and I just oh. moved down here back. Uh, I, I moved back to my what I call my root home, 
uh, down here in South Florida in West Palm Beach. Um, oh. And, and so Boston is really home for me. Um, and nice. so one of the first things I'm doing is hitting back to Boston. And um, I certainly, you know, I used to go in the office and say, oh, my God, I got to go to Springfield. <laughs> but now I have a real reason to go to Springfield. And I know That'll some people that that you know because I know a lot of Springfield pioneer, black pioneers and pioneer families and activists in Springfield. Yes. So yes. we will yes. definitely have to get together, Sora, sister. Yes. Um, yes. yes. To, um, uh, and if my daughter shows up on your door tomorrow, tell her to go home. No. <laughs> Come in. Come in. No, now, I'm going to call her right after the broadcast and tell her, okay, her stuff is coming to Boston, and, yeah. and don't don't go harassing people about their art. Uh, uh, Dr. Shirley Jackson Whitaker, daughter of Eddie and Charlie Mae Jackson, we thank yeah. you so very much for the history, black history that you have created in your life, oh, and we are we are we are so grateful for. For you as an artist, as a physician, as a filmographer, your I, I mean, I, I, my, it takes my breath away that you have this relationship with Winfred uh, Rembert and his family and that you have not lost your connection to Norcross, Georgia. Yeah. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you. And thank you so much. If you if don't forget it's shirleywhitaker.com right. uh Ashes to Ashes number 2 is coming up. Uh the book Ashes to Ashes is so wonderful. It it's just like you hold it in your hands and you see the pictures and 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 right. and, 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 and and the art and uh it gives you that whisper of black comfort because you come yeah. out of, as Ruby, Dr. Ruby Seals would say, you come out of southern comfort. Thank yes. you so very much for being with us. Well, and for those, of you who, for those of you who are listening and you want to hear the documentary, you have to call in at 347-838-9852, even if you're in the chat room, because after a while when we go off the air, you won't be able to hear audio. You're listening to Our Common Ground, our guest tonight, Dr. Shirley J. Whitaker, uh, MD, artist, filmographer, <laughs> and activist. And we are so grateful to have been able to spend time with her here at Our Common Ground and with you. Don't forget, next Saturday night we'll be right back here celebrating Black History Month 2021, Thursday night with Dr. James Taylor at 8 p.m. here at Our Common Ground, the history of black protest movements in America. You can't pay for the lesson provided. Wow. Don't forget. Do not forget. 
stony the road we trod, bitter the chastening rod, felt in the days when hope unborn had died. Yet with a steady beat have not our weary feet come to the place for which our fathers sighed. And the question we ask tonight is, why do we need to be here? <laughs> okay. We need to be here because our country needs to heal. And some bad things happen in this country. where Americans tortured other Americans due to the color of their skin. That went on so long in America. What are you going to do about it? Because I remember as a little girl when we went to a funeral and they lowered that casket in the ground, the minister would say, ashes to ashes. Dust to dust. A lot of our people never got that. So we're looking back in history so this patient can live. We're looking back in history so this patient can thrive. We're looking back in history so this patient can become very strong. But this patient can only live and get stronger if we're willing to look back. So tonight we start. There's an African proverb that says, You speak my name and I will live forever. So tonight we will speak some names. My name is Mary Turner. I was the 19-year-old pregnant wife of the wonderful Hayes Turner. My name is Lamar Thomas and I am representing an unnamed Negro. But when I confronted his murderers, they lynched me and burned my body. My name's Kaya Bellamy, and I'm representing Eugene Azar. They ripped my unborn baby out of my belly, ensuring his death along with mine. Thank you for joining us at Our Common Ground with Janice Graham. I had my wife and other children to look after, to live for. And as my son cried and begged and pleaded for his life, they bound his hands and feet and forced him into the river. And as I stood, trembling with tears running down my face, watching my son sink to the bottom of the river, never to rise again, Never to rise again. It's not just black history. This is American history. Then the sudden smell 
It's been a long time. 